Welcome everyone to Dabo's Fingers, episode 24, A Ghost, A Shadow. I'm Scatty, this is uh, the Dabo's Fingers podcast coming at you. We have with us Brooke and Matt as always. Hello. Hey, hey, hey. And uh, this week we'll have five chapters of ACOC, Clash of Kings, that's Arya 7, Catelyn 3 and 4, Sansa 3 and John 4, that's chapters 30 to 34 according to a wiki of Ice and Fire. And uh, as a quick reminder, we are spoiler-free until the end of the podcast. At that point, we have a special segment that we call Davos After Dark. We'll get all spoilery and sometimes go into theories and all sorts of stuff. Uh, Don't worry, we will warn you so that uh, all those people not looking for spoilers can turn it off. I don't think there are many of you, but we'll uh, we'll make sure to warn you. Uh, also, lastly, uh, just as always, we love, love hearing from other people that love uh, the works as much as we do. So uh, shoot, shoot out your emails, your Twitters, uh, your Facebook comments. Let us know what you think. Uh, you got comments for us. You can, you can find us on DavosFingers.com. That's our Tumblr site. Email at WeAreDavosFingers at gmail.com. Twitter at DavosFingers. Or obviously you can just uh, do a search and find us on Facebook if you look for Davos Fingers. Uh, so we got... Uh, just jumping right into the episode this time, we got uh, Matt on an Arya chapter to bring us to to lead us off. I think, right, Matt? You betcha. And hey, nice episode title. Oh, thanks. I really like it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Just so everyone knows, we we take turns kind of uh, organizing the episodes, and we we get to come up with the title for it. And this was Scad's week, and I like it. Very good. Yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah, we kind of rotate one through three. Brooke started us off in the very first episode, and we've just kind of cycled through uh, every three episodes. So it's fun. it's a it's a fun little thing we get to do. All right, well let's talk about Arya. Yeah. Arya, horse face, underfoot, sticking with the pointy end. Arya, underfoot, horse face, sticking with the pointy end. So Arya continues working as weasel a member of Weiss's Hall custodial staff. And it's hard work, you know, but she considers it better than where she was back at the village with Gregor in charge. But no matter how dire her situation, Arya continues to draw upon Sirio's lessons of observation, noting Tywin, prisoners of the north, uh, various gossipings of Hall's staff, like who's sleeping with who, who's afraid of the rumored ghosts at Harrenhal, uh, who wets the bed, and who gets their food spat in regularly? I mean, this girl would would probably make a great like inside reporter for TMZ Westeros or something. In fact, she now thinks of herself as a mouse, uh, keeping to dark cor- corners and scurrying out of the way of the mighty, and kind of being this uh, invisible presence. And it's here that we get to meet some more bad guys. This time, the Bloody Mummers. They're a sellsword group hired by Tywin, who make quite the interesting sight. Uh, many ride Zorses, we'd probably call them zebras, and we even recognize some Dothraki amongst them. A lot of them come from uh, Essos, and a lot of uh, interesting characters in this little band of brothers. They're led by Vargo Hote, him who wears a goat helm and is endlessly slobbering all over the place. And, uh, and in fact, we could probably contribute the waning morale of the forces stationed there to these guys. Um, They even start a fight on their first night there, which ends up in Tywin hanging some people. Anyway, Arya is in a bit of a holding pattern. Uh, She finds a glimmer of hope in Lord Carwin, one of her father's bannermen who'd been captured by Tywin's army and was being held at Harrenhal, and who she thinks may recognize her. But that hope is soon dashed as Lord Carwin dies of his injuries. 
So after some time, Arya's hate buttons are pushed once again when who arrives at Harrenhal? Amory Lorch. Tywin's pig-eyed crony who had led the attack on Yorin's band so long ago at the Holdfast. We all remember that sad uh, but exhilarating chapter. So her fires are stoked even more when who does she find in his company? She finds Rorge, Biter, and Jacques and Hagar, those three men who she'd risked her life to save in the burning barn. And now it appears they've taken up with uh, Amory Lorch and joined his band. So furious at herself for not letting them die, she goes to bed that night, considering adding them to her prayer list, but really too tired to make a final call. But she's awoken that night by none other none other than Jacques and Hagar himself, who reveals that he recognizes her and comes bearing a gift. And that is that in return for saving his life and that of Rorge and Biter, he offers to kill three men for her in return, and she gets to choose who they are. He states that the red god who he worships was robbed of three lives that night in the barn, and that only death can pay for life. We've heard that before. He gives her no other rules or requirements, only that it has to be three, and it needs to be sooner rather than later. So Arya is skeptical, but in her new outlook on living for revenge, she's willing to give it a try. She considers a number of individuals from Gregor to Ellen Payne all the way to even Weiss, her boss. However, after hearing Gregor's boy Chiswick tell a story about how he and his gang raped a 13-year-old girl in front of her father and even killed her brother who'd tried to intercede, all because the father meekly tried to stand up to them for harassing her, Arya decides he's going to be the first to go. So a couple nights later, as she's serving dinner to the men in the barracks, she passes by Jacques and Hagar, who's eating, and stealthily whispers Chiswick's name into Jacques's ear. And three days later, Chiswick is found dead after, quote-unquote, falling off a wall walk and breaking his neck. And it's then Arya notes that she's no longer a mouse and no longer the sheep that she was under Gregor's command, She's now the ghost in Heron Hall, and there's one less name for her to hate. That's it. <laughs> what happens if she gives Jock and Hagar the name of somebody he doesn't know? Is he like, oh, uh, pick somebody else? I'll figure it out. Yeah. I wanted to know. I've, always, like, I've just the... always wondered that. Does he expect to just know everybody? I feel like he's banking on the fact that. If it's going to be murder, it's going to be personal. Yeah. Right. And indeed it is. Mm. Indeed it is for Arya. I also wonder, like, what are the boundaries of, uh, what's his sphere he, of, uh, geographically, of where he can kill people? Like, could she have really given him any name? Yeah, Cersei. Would he have, like, gone to King's Landing and yeah. knocked off Cersei if she would have given him the name? <laughs> Maybe that's she how we ended up in the Black Cells. <laughs> he already tried. <laughs> <laughs> She seems to think he can't, but he never gave her that rule. Yeah. She's like, oh, I could say Ill and Payne or whatever, but he's clear in King's Landing, so I can't do that. Well, what if you can? Yeah. To be fair, I think she used this first one as like almost a test as well. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if someone you saved the life of, you know, as you do, promised three murders on your behalf, would you be skeptical at first? I would be. Right. I'd be like, well, 
Yeah. Let's I want I want to test it on someone and I want to see the results. The first one is always kind of a dip your toe in the water, see what really happens type of thing, right? Yeah, though I am upset that she picked the guy who stood and watched Gregor, yeah, Gregor Clegane be this absolute just horrific person mm-hmm. and not actual Gregor Clegane. Right. Yeah. Well, she's still he, got he she's did. still got two left. Let's see what she does. But yeah, Chiswick, yeah. I'm with you. Chiswick did take his turn. He did. He says with the girl and but. and lamented that yeah. he didn't get more more wiggling. That's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little gratuitous that whole extremely gratuitous. Yeah. And especially given the timing of our episode, I don't know how deeply we want to wade into it, but. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what you guys keep on hinting at this. Did something happen on the show? Yes. Did it, did it have something to do with Sansa? It did. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we, we don't want to go don't wanna we, don't, we don't really want to go into that. I I will just say that I, to me, you know, I I think everyone that listens to this knows I'm not a huge fan of the show. I, I haven't watched actually since the end of season 3. So I'm I just heard some heard about some of this, but um I, I think one thing Matt and I talked about uh, offline is just I think people are are reacting really strongly to a ter- to a direction they've taken on the show and giving George maybe more credit than he deserves for avoiding a that pass. Ty- that type yeah giving him a pass is a good way to put it for avoiding that type of inflammatory kind of writing and, and plot driving direction because this is the same thing. And uh, mm-hmm. to, to to something that that's happened on the show to us, I mean, same reasons. It's it's to drive to 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 allow characters to make choices and to drive plot forward. And he's doing it. It's it's pretty gratuitous yeah. and pretty disgusting. And I don't know. I don't know. If people kind of forget about it or or what. But George is fallible. Also, it's not just the show. This is right. these are I, dark books. That was my big point. That yeah. was my big point with yeah. it was that we can't bash on them without bashing on George a little bit. It's yeah. the same thing in yeah. my eyes, at least. Yeah. You brought me the around. same arguments that you can make for what happened on the show could be made here. And we'll tell you if you want Brooke, but we did want to respect your avoidance of spoilers. Uh, I already got kind of spoiled, but you know what? It's almost like we're aggravating the situation by talking about it. Yeah. Um, right. That's so, why I was hesitant to, <laughs> no, yeah. I just I, I don't think I think we can leave the show out of it. I, I think we can just say this is this is a gratuitous use of rape to drive plot and uh, take that right. for take that for what you will. I mean, they could they could have he could have chosen another vehicle. I mean, just murdering, just murder, just any number of things uh, could have been used to cement Arya's decision to have this guy murdered, right? And it was done so in such a detailed way. There was almost yeah. two pages, I think, describing yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. And it was like this this, this girl, this 13-year-old girl, and I know she's not real. She's fictional. But she was created for the sole purpose yeah. of making Arya hate Chiswick. So she was created and raped for the sole purpose of making Arya want to kill Chiswick. Yep. Yeah. That's where her arc starts and stops. And... Yeah, it's, it's it happens. Like uh, and it does happen and it's probably a fairly realistic representation right. of the sort of like uh pillaging that happens during war times. Yeah, um sure. but I yep. I look at like um I saw Mad Max. Have you guys seen it yet? No, but nope. I heard I heard good things. Well, without spoiling, if you if you've seen the trailer, have you seen the trailer? 
I've read so many reviews. I know pretty much everything that happens in the movie. Okay, <laughs> so the the plot of the movie is getting these five wives that are owned slave style by this uh, dictator who controls water in a certain area of post apocalyptic earth away from him. And it's heavily implied that they have been raped. Two of them are pregnant, obviously pregnant. And uh, we never have to see it. It, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be discussed. You know, you can make, the, you the know what's yeah. happened. Yeah. Um, it doesn't define these wives as women. Um, it's, it's really refreshing to not like have to see that crap. Yeah. And it, doesn't hurt the story at all. You you don't feel any less empathy for those characters. Um, it doesn't make you hate the, the guy uh, dictator less. guy yeah. any less. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good thing. So it's just it's just nice to see it at the other end of the spectrum where this horrific thing can still be used as a plot device, but not like not for the sake of gratuitous yeah. uh, gratuitous <laughs> shock value. Shock, yeah. I'll be clear. Uh, the first two times I read through this this series, I didn't react to this to to this scene mm-hmm. in any way, really. Um, I mean, other, other than you know, obviously, I don't like reading about rape, but um, you know, it, it, I didn't. It fits in the world. I didn't think it was it does, out of it out of fit. out of character yeah, for the world. Yeah. So I wasn't like taken out of the story by it. Like this is excessive. Like it We've been really desensitized created. to it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think actually strangely i'm only so fixated on it this time because of the timing of when we're covering it compared to what the what just happened in the other in the world of the show and so absolutely it's just kind of given it new context for me but it fits in the world i it, it doesn't really surprise me or i don't i don't think it's i don't think it's really cheap entertainment or anything like that but i i do i do like your point brooke about there are ways to do it just as effectively without without the shock yeah well, when we talked last time, we complimented George on how well he was able to uh, still instill this sense of horror in us at the uh, torture stuff that was going on without ever describing yeah. the yeah. methods of torture themselves, right? Absolutely. We know that he does that so well. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, <laughs> and then he's like, oh, I got to make up for that. <laughs> Two pages. Here we go. Two pages. Uh, I have a get out of jail free card now. It, it it does it does speak too to the fact of like I don't know what Ari is waiting for. She really needed to hear that story to remember that Chiswick's a dirty dude. You know, like how, what cementing did she really need? These are all terrible people. She watched them torture complete innocence for eight days. What more reminder do you need? You know. Oh man, I didn't think of, of that comparison. Good good observation, Matt. It just now feels that much more misogynistic because. We don't really hear about men being tortured to that detail that I can remember. Anyways. Well, it was men and women uh, getting skipped out on the torture descriptions in that uh, building. but Yeah, I don't know, but we've gotten some pretty heavily detailed uh, scenes of Cersei getting knocked around, of Sansa getting knocked around, but any 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 men-on-men violence is pretty standard sword fighting fare. Anyway, I'd have to look deeper into it. Oh! <gasps> I might have found an essay topic. Ooh, you have Dude, the we're, first Davos finger we're, essay. We're never going to write an essay. We can barely. I will write an essay. If we can think of something original. We can barely hey, get our get team, our show notes together. Team John is super original. Yeah, but <laughs> sitting down to actually write it. Oh, that's Davos after dark topics. So I'll yeah. stop there. But. Yeah.
We spent a long time just on that. We did. You got anything uh, else for this episode or for this uh, chapter? I think I think you know there's a lot of good stuff, but th- this is it. Yeah, it's the. I mean, I think it's the big thing. You know, a lot of that chapter is focused on the cleaning and avoiding people that come in and all that. But the the real meat of that chapter is what happens when she gets the when she gets the three kill tokens. Tokens. But uh, I, I did want to. I I, I love the little uh, the little paragraph that you mentioned in your summary there, Matt, where George essentially introduces us to all the remaining people of Planetos in one paragraph. You get like every single culture in the Bloody Mummers described in like a one sentence each. It's like, oh, yeah. he's like, oh, I don't want to do a slow burn on introducing all these cultures. Let's just get it all out of the way right now. Here's an Ibanese. Here's yeah. a, uh, said Tyroshi, um, Dothraki. Yeah. All sorts of guys. I do wonder how the Dothraki ended up there since they're so like clannish. And, and afraid of water. And afraid of water. And afraid of water. Yeah. Of water. Yeah. yeah. Must've drugged them. Uh, yeah. So, so did Arya get her groove back then? Is she, uh, is she now, we, we called her a self-loather last episode. Is she, has she escaped that? Is she, she got her groove back? Stella style? I don't know. I'm not sure mm. either. It sounds like she's getting like, um, a routine in place. Yeah. That might help like stabilize her, but, uh, She's she's still you know creeping around. Yeah, I think, I think she has given up on the relying on other people type thing that she was kind of moving away from anyways. But <clears throat> you notice she was always kind of putting her trust in a in a figure, usually like a male adult figure. Yeah, uh, her dad, Sirio, Yorin. We could maybe even say Tarber and Cut Jack, Gendry, um, even maybe. Although that was much yeah. more give and take. Sure. And Lord uh, Kerwin or Serwin, however you want to say his name, that was kind of like the final straw. And when he died, she's like, whatever, yeah. screw this. Yeah, I remember <laughs> my own. the first time I read through this just being so frustrated. Like, I had so much hope. Like, oh, she's in she's in this castle full of Northmen. They're prisoners. But yeah. certainly she can leverage that somehow. I was so excited. And then it's like, oh, she's scared to talk to him. She doesn't know which one she can trust. Uh, and then this guy dies. dies as anticlimactically yeah. <laughs> as just of his wounds. It was so frustrating bed. as a first time reader. So if you're a first time reader out there, you're not alone if you're frustrated. I was that way the first time too. I, I guess catch a break. I guess with my question, I was just saying it seemed like this whole chapter she's talking about how she uh, she's a mouse, right? Kind of hiding in the in the nooks and crannies, right, and just kind of staying out of the way. But she, in the end becomes a ghost, which is much proactive, mm-hmm. terror-inducing, I'm-in-control, fear-me kind of kind of mode. And so it seems like she's kind of – she sees herself as a force again. That's true. Good point. Yeah, she, she'd she been in this situation where we talked about in last episode how everything had kind of been taken from her and she'd been completely stripped down. Yeah. We even used the, the comparison of her having – or the metaphor of her having to pee out in the open, yep. uh, admitting that she was a, a girl – and now she feels like, yeah, she's got some sense of control, right? That yep. She she pulls some strings. Yep. In a big bad way. Okay. Uh, yeah. Let's move on. Uh, we got a, our first Catlin chapter of the episode. Brooke, you want to kick us off? Yes. And with all sincerity, thank you for this chapter. You're welcome for the chapter. I know you love cat chapters. I do. And these ones are really good. Let's get into these ones it. Are great. Yeah. Words will cut you like Valyrian steel through a hand. She can't love Jon Snow, and she's sure to let you know where she stands. 
devoted mother who married the brother of a dead fiance. She's vengeful and hateful, loving and faithful. She's Catelyn, Catelyn Stark. So this cat chapter can be summed up in one sentence. Cat is exasperated. She is the Stark representative in the parlay between King Renly and King Stannis beneath Storm's End. Stannis arrives with his flag bearer, Missandra. Wait, how are we pronouncing this? Lysandra is how I say it. Yeah? Pronounce I've heard Melisander. Like. Okay. Yeah, George has said he doesn't care. Let's make that clear one more time. Hashtag, George has said he doesn't care how you pronounce them. Hashtag so, say it how we want. Say it how we want, baby. Yeah. Own it, Brooke. Own it. That sounds like we're fighting to be racist. Say it how you want. So Stannis arrives with his flag bearer, Missandra, flying his new sigil, a stag engulfed in a flaming heart. Catelyn is probably super attractive to Stannis right now with her red hair and her bluntness because she out and out asks him why he's here fighting his brother and not attacking King's Landing. Stannis tells her it's because he needs the strength of Renly Southern Lords and Stannis needs must take them from him. That is like verbatim. He needs must take them from him. Uh, Stannis has such a unique way of talking. I love it. Renly owes Stannis his loyalty and obedience as the younger brother, and Stannis pretty much rejects Rob's offer of friendship when Kat tells Stannis that's what Rob will offer in place of a bent knee. Then Renly rolls in, purposefully late, Brienne carrying his flag. Uh, By the way, I think it's unlikely that either brother would have expected the other to bring a woman to this meeting. (laughs) They both do. It's kind of great. Renly's japing and he's riling Stannis up and Stannis is clenching up like an old man fist. And Cat is trying to remind them that Lannisters are gathering troops hither and yonder at Harrenhal, at Casserly Rock, at um, uh, the God's Eye. Um, and that both Stannis and Renly call themselves kings, but as the kingdom bleeds, the only one to do anything about it is Rob Stark. But alas, they are both heads deep in their asses, even when Catelyn's argument that they should unite forces out of nothing more than mutual benefits, let alone the fact that they're brothers, Stannis tells her she forgets herself and reminds her that Rob is a traitor too and that his day will come. This really gets to Cat being such a bald-faced threat, and she reminds the brothers that they have no claim to, the, to squabbling over the crown when Robert already has two sons to inherit. Then the whole <laughs> Stannis rant about his nephews and niece being abominations born of incest gets going and rehashed. And uh, this time, a few things click for Catelyn. She has about 0.02 seconds of doubting Cersei, that Cersei would sleep with her own brother, before fully accepting this accusation and thinking and actually linking it to John Aaron's death. So in the meantime, Renly taunts Stannis by eating a peach, which we should talk about later, since I'm not sure what the significance of this is. 
and seemingly out of nowhere offers Stannis Storm's ends. So remember that Stannis has been crotchety about this for a long time. As we learned back in the prologue, he believes he should have received Storm's end when Robert became king, but instead got saddled with Dragonstone and Robert gifted Storm's end, uh, the seat of the Baratheons, to Renly. So, of course, instead of graciously or even ungraciously accepting the land and castle from Renly, Stannis is like, nope, it's not yours to give, it's mine by rights. They back and forth for a while longer, Renly again pointing out what a shit king Stannis would make and how much stronger Renly's army is and how many more lords have sworn to him. The treaty ends with Stannis giving Renly one more day to think about surrendering, and Renly going back to his camp and telling everyone they'll be fighting a battle in the morning, uh, especially after a little encouragement from Lord Tarly. Kat is like, I need to go now. But Renly tells her she needs to stay to report back his victory to Rob, presumably so Rob is extra impressed and scared. Cat asks to at least be allowed to go to a shrine of the seven to pray and uh, just in one town back and Renly lets her. She cautions him to pray as well. For victory, he asks. For wisdom, she replies. And that's the end of the chapter. Oh boy. Yeah. So <laughs> it, was, it was a real good Stannis chapter. He was... Really on point with he his wits. He was in fine form. He was, <laughs> fine he was in form. fine form. <laughs> All three of them were actually, I think. Uh, they, they were very much true to their characters. It was very well written. I think. It was. Agreed. <laughs> like when Stannis was even getting on Ned's case for being named yes. the Hand of the King. <laughs> and Kat's like, he didn't even want it. Stannis is like, yet yeah, he took it. That which should have been mine. I'm like, oh, Stannis, mine by like, right. shut up already. <laughs> so... I love I love you, Stanny, and I love our Stannis lovers out there. But sometimes he just makes me roll my eyes a bit. He came off very whiny in this chapter, and Brooke, <clears throat> I th- you couched you couched the chapter perfectly with uh, uh, what was it? You said that she's exasperated. It's yeah. like it's like she showed up to a dick measuring contest with a philosophy book. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, she's trying to get onto the finer points of like politics and what's right and fair. And these guys are like, I deserve it. No, it's mine. Like, what What can you do? Well, well, here's the thing. That is a good question. What can you do? She went into that parlay with the, the intention of bringing peace, of uniting these two brothers, or at least getting them to stop fighting each other and fighting the Lannisters, a common right. enemy of all the other kings. All three of them. All three of the kings, right? Which makes a lot of sense. And if Rob, even two of them had gotten together, they would have beaten Tywin. Yeah, no yeah. And Sorry, it, go on. <laughs> well, it feels like any idiot could see that. But Cat was sent down as a representative for the Starks, for the king in the north. And I feel like... Rob didn't send her down with no negotiating power, right? So what else could she have offered? I felt like the only thing she was doing during this talk was pointing out what idiots they were being. but mm-hmm. And she fully acknowledged that they are both just absolutely ego-soaked. So knowing that, you can't fight 
aggressive egos like that, right? You have to appeal to them. You have to, you have to play the game, right? So what could she have offered? What could she have sacrificed on behalf of the North to at least make them compromise, at least say, well, we'll send half of each of our armies against the Lannisters and then we'll keep the other halves to fight each other here. Like anything, right? Like, like I felt like it was a big missed opportunity that kind of you forgot about because it is so humorous to watch the brothers fight. With Renly and Stannis' hate as against each other as they are by this point, could she have offered anything, like you said, from the North side that would have appealed to them, that would have gotten them to see past their mutual well, disdain for each other yeah we we could guess about that forever but the point is that she didn't even try yeah like sure i, I think I, I to offer my guesses i think we heard renley's terms before in in a previous uh chapter you know about about fealty he can stay up there but he owes me his fealty stannis we hear in this chapter he's like he says to her you presume too much rob's a traitor like i'll deal with him next like yeah Stannis for sure isn't going to give in with anything other than bending the knee. I don't know that she could have offered right. much, but uh, I agree. She didn't. I, she didn't try. I mean, she could. She might as well have just stayed in the in the camp. Like she didn't. She didn't really offer anything to the negotiations other than, like you said, pointing out how childish they were being. Well, and remember, she wasn't sent to deal with the two of them. Yeah, she was only sent to deal with Renly, and then. Renly ended up going to Stannis when he laid siege on Storm's End. So Catelyn kind of like, well, I should try to get in on this too, I guess. And and kind of when I thought of a Star Wars scad on Episode Four, where Grand Marf Tarkin is like, "This bickering is pointless." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from the Death Star. <laughs> Catelyn as Tarkin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Is I mean, that the fish head guy. No, no, Grand Moff Tarkin. He's the. The leader of the Death Star, the like the general, yeah, really Oh, okay. Yeah, he gets choked out, right? Uh, no, he just dies when the Death Star blows up. Yeah, he's like, uh, he's uh. like, apologies to the actor if he happens to listen to our podcast. <laughs> he's like super, <laughs> I think super he's long gone, man. super sunken face, like thin guy, older, looked like a skeleton. Yeah, skeleton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, no, yeah, I can, yeah. I can picture him really well. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I wonder if you can listen to podcasts from the grave. And if you could, <laughs> if you'd listen to this one. <laughs> you could listen to any podcast. Uh, dead. I'm just, I'm so worried about insulting people, which is weird because I'm. <laughs> I feel like we're pretty safe. Yeah, yeah. We could probably go off on a lot of people. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> New idea for an episode. Including the our own fest family. episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely including our own family. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They stopped listening a long time ago. Where's uh, that? Uh, uh, yeah. Well, hey, um, I found a George quote on the peach. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. Yes. Wait, can I try out my theory first? Sure. My theory is just that it's a metaphor for Renly taking uh, Highgarden, which Stannis craves the support of Highgarden, to his war effort. And it's just a metaphor. Uh, it is a metaphor. Um but a little bit broader in Damn scope, it. at least as George puts it, than what you're narrowing in on. But Why I like does that. George have to be smarter than me? It's not fair. He says, the peach represents pleasure. It's tasting oh. the juices of life. Stannis is very martial, is a very martial man concerned with his duty. And with that peach, Renly says, smell the roses. Because Stannis is always concerned with his duty and honor in what he should be doing and never really stops to taste the fruit. Renly wants him to taste the fruit, but it's lost. 
And then he laments that the scene wasn't included in the TV series, but whatever. So the peach is basically just the good things in life. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chilling I, I, out and smoking a bowl every once in a while or something. Yes. By, by bowl, did you mean pole? No, I mean a bowl. Oh. <laughs> he doesn't get it. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I did. Okay, it just took me a minute. Uh, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm up there with my innuendo jokes. <laughs> Don't cute me. Uh, well, that makes a lot of sense, but I'm disappointed it was the most obvious answer because that's right. kind of what it what it felt like. Like that that was the general tone, but I thought maybe it was like a, a childhood side joke or yeah, nothing. Yeah, yeah. Thought of Though, a Dave Matthews song, the song that's about like sex and stuff, and uh, Dave says in the song, "When the dro- when the juice is dripping off your chin, one peach is not enough." Is dripping off your chin. Take that as you'll take it. Wow. You induendoed us right and, back. And Led yeah. Zeppelin, uh, squeeze my lemon till the juice runs down my leg, right? Zeppelin, what were you thinking? That is a very acidic fruit. No. <laughs> I like peach better. No kidding. I'm sure neither Sometimes of them are I wonder if like Dave Matthews' wife listens to his music and is just like, oh, David. Oh, David. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, uh, well, Stannis got Renly back pretty good. <laughs> like, yeah. for example, when Renly oh. was bragging about how he bagged Marjorie... Uh, yes. And she came to him a maiden. Stannis is like, and I'm sure she stayed that way in your bed. She made a money. Which is funny My coming God. from oh. him. Which is funny coming from him because we know from other people that he almost never visits his wife's bed either. It's kind of yeah. a weird, kind of a... It's, it's a dutiful thing for him. Yeah, right. Renly gets some interesting advice when he gets back to the camp about... Just leave Stannis behind. Like, you don't need to face him, right? And he's like, no, no. Uh, and B said, I'm a coward and all this stuff. And uh, pride. Pride comes before the fall, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, also, I wanted to point out, um, we got in a big uh, a big tiff last week about, uh, was it last chapter? It might have been even the episode before that. Uh, of the description of Brienne about physical nature uh, and and how disappointed you were that all she could focus on was the physical description and how ugly she was, and I said no, she's she's talking about how she's looking at him, and that's the unfortunate part. The physical thing is unfortunate, but her love for him that's unrequited is also unfortunate. And I just want to point out that in this chapter, she notes she loves him, poor thing, and she knows for sure. And so it's I don't think it's crazy for me to have assumed that in the last chapter. Yeah, and I think what we agreed on last time was that it could be a bit of both. You did. At least that's what Brooke, I was Brooke never gave in. Well, here's the thing. Brienne knows what she looks like. She knows who she is in relation to Renly. I honestly think that she's not hoping for the impossible. She doesn't expect Renly to one day wake up and, 
you know, go down on one knee in front of her and ask for her hand in marriage. Like she's not stupid, right? Or take her as a lover or anything like that. I think she mm. honestly loves him like a knight of the Kingsguard should. Like purely. And if there is sexual attraction there, then I don't think that's that uncommon. <laughs> When it comes well, to it's, a king, it's, right? It's not that different. Well, it's it's not that different from so, Jorah, Jorah and Danny, maybe, other than the fact that she's thirteen. Right. But yeah, and and I, I really, I really feel that her love comes from devotion, not from something unrequited. Taking a page out of Matt's book, can't it be both? Um, see, that's where I would argue. I, I kind of think she's crushing on him. Yeah, she is not stupid though. I didn't and, say. Well, we're talking about Catelyn's impression of her behavior and her looks. Right, not what she actually right. hopes is going to happen. I don't think she thinks she's going to marry the guy, but I think Catelyn sees that she's in love with him, and it's okay. more than dutiful. I, I would love. say I think there's love some crushing not going in on. Love. What? Oh, um, we're going to fight about this again later. I know it. I think we just need to give Brienne more credit here that she's not completely ruled by her lust. No, I'm not saying no, no, absolutely not. Yeah. I, I'm absolutely saying it, it could be both. I think absolutely she has respect for him. She loves the man she he is. She would die for him. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. All of that's true. I'm not trying to diminish her character. I love Brian. I think she's awesome. I'm just saying, I think she's in love with him, too. Those things happen. Uh, okay. <sighs> no, you're not a comfortable. Fine. Uh, quick note, Storm's End is my favorite castle. Really? If, if, if you could draw Scad as a castle, I would be Storm's End. <laughs> Unyielding to the ground, un, 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 un to the gods. Eighty feet thick, one massive drum tower. Seventh try. Simple, squat, thick. <laughs> this is like this is like Scad's version of a castle. But simple Scad, you are anything but simple. Well, right? eh, maybe. All right. In any event, I, uh, this castle's awesome. Uh, I, I love the story of it. Um, we might get a little bit more into it in Davos After Dark. I'd love to. It is interesting. It's not as glamorous as like Karen Hall or or King's Landing, but it is. It's the story behind it's super cool. Yeah, I felt like we could have spent a little less time on it. Really, it reminded me of Ar- Arwen and Aragorn. Oh yeah, maybe. Uh, the story. Yeah. Well, I I just we've already spent too much time on it apparently, but this we should have actually saved the the Monty Python reference of building it seven times and sinking into the swamp for this castle. Cause that's like exactly yeah. what happened here. I was like, Oh no, we ruined it. One day, all this your son, what <laughs> the curtains. One day, lad, all this will be yours. What the curtains? No, not the curtains, lad. All that you can see stretched out over the hills and valleys of this land. That'll be your kingdom, lad. Mother. Father, lad, father. But, Father, I don't want any of that. That's right. But I don't want land. <laughs> I just want to sing. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Uh, Sansa chapter for me. Cue music. Don't know when a prince will come, but surely he's a gonna come for Sansa Stark. He'll be looking like a toolie and a daddy killed a wolf is Sansa Stark. Sansa hurries to complete her appearance for a meeting with Joffrey, but the hound's behavior sets her off. She knows that something is amiss. He he indicates that the problem isn't her directly, it's her brother. Uh, She finds Joffrey amidst a throng of onlookers. As she kneels before him, he indicates that this can't save her now. 
Lancel, who's standing around, one of the gawkers, informs her that her brother has attacked the Lannister army. This is Sir Stafford's army, not, not Tywin's army. He's attacked them by night and feasted on their flesh. I'll leave it to you, the informed reader, to sort out the facts from the fantasy. Joffrey decides that he will beat her for her brother's treason, instructing Sander to start the process, only to have Florian, uh, sorry, or Sir Dantos, on his fake horse and tinfoil armor volunteer, clearly to save Sansa from real harm in a jest. He beats her about the head and shoulders with a melon star. Potential word of the day. The distraction doesn't work, though. Joff is in no mood for jests, and he instead has Marin and Boros beat her with her fists, the flats of their blades, and to add insult to injury, strip her from neck to waist. Um, the onslaught is about to continue and get much worse when Tyrion shows up to put a stop to it. He demands that she be unhanded and given something to cover up. The Hound obliges immediately. Tyrion sweeps Sansa away, but not before chiding Joff for his behavior toward his future queen, threatening to alarm the current one, Cersei, and marking Boros and Meryn for death at the hands of Bronn and Timot if they speak again. <laughs> I love this guy. Uh, <clears throat> Sansa is cleaned by Tyrion's servants, reflects on what it really means to be a knight as she falls asleep. She wakes in Arya's former chambers in the Tower of the Hand uh, and attempts to leave, but is rebuffed by Chella, the Black Ears, told that she's not allowed to leave. Tyrion arrives shortly, though. Officer Comforts fills her in. Apparently, I'll uh, summarize it really quickly, six days ago, Rob crushed her Stafford Lannister at Oxcross. Um, they arrived at night, cut their horses free, and the horses trampled through the camp, and uh, Stafford's dead, a bunch of captives, all that stuff. But he quickly shifts the conversation to Joffrey, kind of feeling her out, you know, asking her how she feels about him. Um, he kind of admits to her that he has no intention for Sansa to ever marry Joff, uh, that it's a, a union that's doomed to fail. Uh, she indicates to him that all she wants to be is be loyal and that she prays to an end for the fighting, to which Tyrion assures her that despite the recent history, Rob has no chance of winning. Which is an interesting take. Uh, Tyrion informs her that the war is, uh, is over. He intends to just send her home, but Sansa isn't waiting for that. She asks to go back to her quarters, ostensibly so that she can get to the godswood and ex expedite her escape through Ser Dantos. Tyrion he is hesitant, but agrees after Sansa indicates that the ghosts of her father's dead would haunt her that night. Well played, Sansa. So, um, just kind of a, kind of a push the, push the plot forward chapter, but uh, some interesting stuff there at the end with Tyrion and Sansa, seeing them uh, converse together. So Tyrion's in a little bit of a rough spot. You know, he, he doesn't want to be a dick to Sansa like the rest of his family is. But he's got to also know that she can't really take everything that he says without a grain of salt. You know, even if he's being nice, she's probably kind of wondering what his motives are. Uh, I don't know, what, what did you guys think of that interaction between them? I, this, I continue to be impressed with Sansa. I continue to be impressed with her. I mean, severe, like, is severe even a strong enough word to describe the domestic abuse that she is a victim of day in and day out? And she still is playing kind of a strategic game. It's a different one, but she, she's got to play this character in order to survive, and she's still playing it. Um, I don't blame her for not trusting Tyrion yet, but... Uh, I appreciate Tyrion's efforts. Yeah, that was crazy horrific. Like, how far would it have gone without Tyrion interrupting this? Um, and he was amazing. Like, yeah. so gentle, so supportive, a real yeah. gentleman. I love Sansa's thoughts of how, you know, every knight she's met is a super jerk, but the ones who hate knights or deny being knights or aren't knights yeah. are the ones, 
Yeah, know, the, the Sandors and the the Tyrians and the Disfigured Ones are all the all the people who who have treated her don't with for, decency. Don't, for, don't forget Wino Dantos. Wino Dantos. Yeah, the uh, the anti knight theme is played out here. You yeah. said all the names. The ones, the the three people that stuck up for her in some way during this chapter were those three: were Sandor, Dantos, and, and Tyrion. Yeah. Such such an important lesson. Oh, it's a little frustrating that George can go from such terrible themes to such wonderful themes. Just, yeah. mm-hmm. just one chapter. But yeah, I, I to go back to your question, Scott, I, I thought um, Tyrion was a real winner in this chapter. And I'm kind of sad that Sansa is still so hyper-focused on her plan with uh, Dantos, which is, I don't know, to me, and this is not a spoiler, it's just a personal opinion, doomed to fail, just logistics-wise, and not seeing mm-hmm. her opportunity to get closer or at least um, form some sort of alliance with Tyrion for protection and possibly escape. Well, this is her first real up-close interaction with him, right? Like, I don't blame her for not trusting him yet. Mm. She can't. Like, with what she's been through, there's no way she can trust a Lannister, especially after one meeting. Let's put it no this way. No matter how nice he was to her. She barely decided to trust Dantos. I mean, she's terrified, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I don't think, so. Yeah, I don't think she can afford to trust anybody. I mean, in her brain, she's probably like, oh, that whole thing was probably a ruse to get me to trust Tyrion. Right. They beat me and, and told Tyrion to come save to me. me. Yeah. yeah, I mean, her head has got to just be at every corner just trying to play all these angles like she's seen shadows that aren't there but what if one of them happens to be real like the the one we're about to talk about yeah and and the thing that's scary about all of this is that sansa or that joffrey excuse me seems to have no real reason for doing what he does to sansa like there's nothing that she's personally done wrong to him or no reason for him to go and do what he does to her and that's what probably adds to uh, her anxiety over it is any little thing can completely set him off and it's almost like he's just using her to like gratify himself and his sick desires like even when he starts talking about how to strip her down because he wants to see her beaten naked but don't touch her face because he likes to see it pretty like this kid is just sick oh yeah all he uses sansa for is just to gratify himself. There's no rhyme or reason for him doing what he does to her. No, absolutely. And, and his descriptions <clears throat> of killing people from the castle wall, like putting arrows through people's throats and arms and being completely unrepented about it. He's just such a cruel little boy. He's a perfect example of, you know, in the nature versus nurture debates, like there's just some people who are just amazing parents, but they have crappy kids and vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Joffrey got like, the nature stick and the nurture stick. <laughs> it's just, and then it, it culminated into this terrible, awful incest child who's also like an animal abuser and a yeah. killer and a murderer and a, and a psycho. Yeah. Yep. So say we all. Uh, yeah. Awesome that uh, all these people believe in this army of feasting wolves, but uh, none of them believe in others. <laughs> <laughs> army of wargs but but others preposterous well to be no. fair Tyrion didn't believe it either he's like uh, he probably had his wolf but that was about it yeah that's true yeah. one thing that's interesting is we um, we've talked up Tywin's 
position militarily uh, in previous episodes. We did the time is on my side and mm-hmm. compared it to Tywin and everything. But now we see that his position really is waning after this battle. And even the Arya chapter, we start to see, I mentioned this in my summary, that morale is starting to suffer a little bit at Heron Hall. We had Lannister men talking about, well, how long can Joffrey stay in power? And we had those side conversations that Arya heard. And then here we see that uh, the the secondary force that Tywin was really relying on to have any sort of success against Rob has been completely wiped out. And it was something that Tywin never expected. Tywin was always banking on Rob attacking him at Harrenhal. And Rob went right under his nose, well, away from his nose. (laughs) He went the opposite direction. And wiped out Stafford's men. Um, yeah, credit to Rob. Credit to Rob. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. People bash on his military strategy, but that was well played. Yeah, pretty brilliant. Uh, and yeah, I, I think it's interesting. We we mentioned just briefly in the last chapter, if 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 Renly and Stannis had buried the hatchet and marched on King's Landing, you know, <laughs> game over for Tywin. Now he's stuck between. You know, two <laughs> two armies. Yeah, because uh, as soon as he leaves Harrenhal, yeah, Rob's Rob right comes, on his Rob's butt, right? right on there. Yeah, so we've got Roose Bolton's men still out there too. So who knows what's going to happen? We won't spoil it for the reader. What what's ahead? But we do know that if they had just done that and marched on King's Landing, Tywin would have been in really really bad shape. So uh, okay, last thing about the Hound uh, before we move on. Pretty much just openly defies Joffrey's request. Yeah, just kind of scoffs at it immediately like the ink is barely dried on Tyrion's request when he throws his cape over to Sansa to cover her up he's pretty much he seems like he's just team Sansa Mm -hmm. right yeah like we said he's one of those three anti-knights that sticks up I really love it and like in a perfect world it would be a total beauty and the beast situation but uh, I don't think he can come through every time yeah we'll see He's got a lot of demons. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, let's move on to Callan. Words will cut you like Valyrian steel through a hand. She can't love Jon Snow, and she's sure to let you know where she stands. A devoted mother who married the brother of a dead fiance. She's vengeful and hateful, loving and faithful. She's Catelyn, Catelyn Star. Okay, ah, that's me again. Thank you, Scott, for both Catelyn chapters. I just totally sincere. Thank you. You're I know welcome. you did it to punish me. <laughs> it wasn't you. to punish you. It was it was to not punish Matt because I felt like I punished him last time. Oh, I see. It feels like I'm always doling out double doses of Catelyn. It feels like it's every episode or something for me. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. Well, when I first read the last cat chapter, I assumed that her request to pray, um, like in the little shrine, was a ruse for escape. But she really does pray in this chapter. Um, so we get an awesome firsthand exposure to the faith of the seven as Kat prays for men going into battle, for her family, for justice, for strength. And, well, she also takes this opportunity to ponder Cersei's motives for being evil. So, pretty much Cersei protecting her children. She also comes to the conclusion, while she's there, that Bran must have seen something at Winterfell. 
likely Cersei and Jamie together, and that's why they tried to have him killed. So a lot of self-reflection, a lot of revelations, um, and also a, just a great look at, like a, a more in-depth look at what each of the seven means. And also we learn from her remembering talking to Septons in her childhood that, well, the seven, the um, mother, father, uh, warrior, well, the guy who hits the anvil, blacksmith. Is that the name of the, him? Yeah, yeah, the smith. Why didn't I yeah. write these down? Gotcha. The smith. The smith, yeah. <laughs> the guy who hits the anvil. The smith, the maid, the crone, and then the stranger. So everyone's read it, so you know what I'm talking about. But it's really interesting that each one also represents the other seven. So, for example, the crone still has beauty like the maid, and the mother still has strength like the warrior, and... Etc. Etc. And the father is always bearded, which is also interesting. And all of the representations of him, like from the beautifully carved statues in the castle temples to just the chalk drawings on the wall of this crude shrine, he's always got a beard. Go beards! You got to differentiate him from the Smith Valley, (laughs) because he's the only guy with a beard out there. Yeah, he's right up both of your alleys. Gab loves his hairy bearded men. Damn right, he does. Brookie. Yeah. Um, so back at camp, she interrupts Brienne armoring Renly in his snazzy green armor, getting ready to uh, march in the morning, and proposes like the most ambitious plan we've ever seen anyone try to pull off in Restoros to date. So Stannis is hogtied because he can't prove Joffrey is a bastard. So he's claiming that he has the right to the throne because Joffrey, Tommen, and Marcella are abominations, incest babies, not Robert's children. But he can't prove it, so he really doesn't have a leg to stand on, just his stubbornness. But Catelyn knows Bran will be witness to Stannis' incest accusation, and his paralyzation and her assassination scars will help bolster the claim. So if they take this evidence and Rob, Stannis, and Renly all put down their crowns and unite in one great council, they can let the lords of Westeros vote for who they want their new king to be, because Joffrey will be out of the picture. So, great plan, right? But sorry, too much ego for pseudo-democracy, we're just going to fight it out, and incalculable loss of life and resources um, will, will, will be had. It's not like winter is coming, so it's fine. So then just as Kat is going to start begging for Renly to consider another way, the trippiest stuff ever goes down. Brienne is still putting on Renly's armor. They're, they're in his tent, and it's just the three of them. So just Brienne, Renly, and Catelyn. And Catelyn thinks she sees Renly lift his sword, so she sees the shadow of it against the, the wall of the tent, But then she realizes that his sword is still in its scabbard and it's a shadow attached to nothing. And the shadow with the shadow sword stabby stab stabs Renly and he goes down. The only thing he says as he's dying is the word cold. 
And then Brienne is losing it, screaming and holding his body. And two other knights of his rainbow guard come running in, take one look at the situation. And one of them, Sir Iman Kai, declares Brienne to be a wicked woman and goes after her with an axe. Like, no questions, no trying to help Renly. Just, here's my opportunity to attack that woman who gets the rainbow cloak, and I'm going to take it. So Brienne is... Um, fighting blood frenzing dudes who who come into the tent uh, with all the commotion going on, and she's she's fighting them off like a pro. And Catelyn turns to Sir Robert Royce, the uh, the other Rainbow uh, Knight, and tells him frantically what really happened, saying that it was Stannis who stabbed Renly through some kind of sorcery. Is what she thinks. She doesn't know how she knows that it was Stannis, but she knows it was Stannis. She just has. You know, one of those gut feelings that you can't ignore. So Robert holds off the men attacking Brienne so Catelyn can get her away, and they walk not run back to the Stark camp. Uh, Catelyn convinces Brienne to come with them, and Brienne vows to kill Stannis. Uh, Catelyn doesn't say anything, but she thinks about how all the power Renly had amassed will likely swear to Stannis now from one Baratheon to the next brother. And she thinks about the threat the Stannis made to go after Rob the traitor next. And uh, that's the end of the chapter. So I know crazy, right? It's so much going on. Renly is dead. 100% for sure. Dead. Brienne is the most likely suspect. Only uh, Robert Royce could probably stand up for her, but there were no other witnesses to this crazy shadow murder. And uh, my, my first thought goes to, it's got to be like some red God sorcery, right? Um, who, who else would, would have the, the means and the motive to do motive, this to yeah. Renly? Exactly. You know, they, they decided to battle at dawn right before battle. So if it's, it's got to be Missandra, probably my, my first, like my, knee-jerk reaction is if it came from the red god why was it a shadow and why was it cold cold yeah and i've this got some responses for that in but just Dark, to maybe. just to sorry go ahead yeah just to remind everyone that when the others are around uh, they always comment on well i shouldn't say that well, when so they're I- in the north uh some of the night's watchmen have commented on how a different kind of cold is felt, not just the normal cold of being outside in the winter, but they feel a kind of cold. I thought that was an interesting parallel. That's yeah. not spoiling anything. That's just textual. That's in the text. Yeah, no, for sure. And the only thing that would make me dispute that is that um, Catelyn didn't notice the cold so much. True. And and it would have kind of probably radiated, radiated out more, but there's got to be a connection there. You're right. It's it's the series is called A Song of Ice and Fire. <laughs> Just to remind I everyone. I don't know. And the ice f- and the fire gotta mean something. People f- frequently feel cold when they're gonna die. Um it's a reasonably common thing. thing. Well, f- physically, yes, once they've lost blood that happens, but I think I think it's well, <laughs> I'm no doctor, but I th- I think I think it's reasonably common for people to just feel cold when they're about to die. It's like a anyway. Doctor Scad. Doctor no, certainly not. But, Where did you receive your PhD? What uh, what weird Eastern Asian country did you receive your PhD from? Tell us. BS it was the internet. Yeah. <laughs> University of Phoenix. <laughs> University of Phoenix actually w- has really w- good w- programs. W- dot medical degree dot com. 
paid twenty dollars and I did. So I'm just saying I, I don't I think, it's, so I, think it's, I think it's early I think it's early to try to color something a connection to the others at this point. Sure. Seems early sure. to me. But Okay. I respect that. Mm-hmm. Brienne is a stone cold uh, badass though. Fighting like three dudes. Oh yeah. And no hesitation, no surrender. Just like yeah. lopping guys' hands off. Yeah. Using Renly's sword. Oh, so bittersweet. Yeah. And uh kudos to Kat too. Like uh she she took a couple seconds where she was really freaked out by everything, but then she got her head on straight. She did. Yeah. She she talked down Royce. She got Brienne out of there. You know, they did the whole walk not run thing, like you said, Brooke. And got away, you know. Uh, I respect that Catelyn, in many instances, manages to keeping her head in a crisis. Yeah, it's too bad they had to abandon Brienne's armor. Yeah, her cool blue armor. Yeah. yeah. And her cloak and stuff. But, uh, yeah, bad situation. Terrible timing. And I just you know want to point really out... Sad? Sorry, go ahead. No, I will, you go ahead. I just want to point out more evidence in my favor. favor. Brienne says, I never held him, but has he died? Um, yeah, maybe. We can leave it at that. We've argued enough about it, but... Oh, my gosh. Sorry. Your point, Matt. <laughs> I was completely going to move on. Move so on. Brooke, do you have a rebuttal? No, I just... You don't want me to simplify her role. I get it. I'm not, I'm not saying she's just uh, in love. Oversimplify. I think it's still simple. I think she still just really loves him. But I don't think that it's like desperate sad pitiful love i think it's very genuine and i think that we shouldn't belittle that i don't doubt that i don't think scad does either. i don't okay none of uh, my comments have been meant to belittle i just maybe i feel maybe i'm too close to the situation maybe i just feel too strongly about it my comments actually aren't directed at her at all they're directed at cat's impression of her that's uh, something we always need to keep in mind when mm-hmm. we're Discussing no, non-POV fair. characters as they're colored by whoever the POV is. Um, Renly rejecting Kat's great council idea. Yeah. I thought that was a bit tragic because if anyone could win that great council thing, I kind of think that of the three guys, Renly probably has close to the upper hand right now. He probably could have won the thing and been voted in. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, just I from think- sheer numbers. I think Just Renly the, uh, the numbers on his side. I think Renly feels like this thing is in the bag for him. I he think does. he I think he feels like this war is all but over with him being the the final winner. I don't know why he feels that way exactly, but I think he feels that way. Very I th- confident. I think he had some good chances. He had very strong army, very strong supply lines as well from Highgarden. Yep. Um and then just like the 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 popular vote, right? He, he's the people's king. He was the people's king. Yeah. Was. He, he, that's what I think, too. He's in a very good situation to, to maybe take this thing. Yeah. And, and uh, could have been done with a lot less bloodshed, probably. And, like... I, I, did a little, I did a little research on great councils. So there have only been a handful of them. They're right. called in dire times when there's succession questions, which you could call this a succession question, but really it's, it's kind of like... The succession sucks. Pick what you want. Um, not there's two good candidates. Um, and they they in the past they've always been for Targaryen questions of of succession. Um, right. So it's it's a little weird. Like I, I don't think it's like I don't think it's a common thing for them to just do all the time. Like oh, 
default go no. go to the great council you know this is an unprecedented situation yeah Agreed. yeah i mean and i think brooke i think brooke kind of laid into that in the summary it was like this is a you know this is kind of a an interesting very i don't know out there kind of idea that she takes a chance on and you know he doesn't go for it but yeah a very interesting one uh speaking of targaryens I'm, sorry go ahead i was just gonna point out that no way tywin lannister's winning that vote so <laughs> unlikely although we can no, buy a lot of oh, completely unlikely completely unlikely you can impossible do a, you can do for a lot him with money. to win the popular vote you can do a lot with money i don't know i realize have a lot of money yeah i don't think there's any way you could have won sorry let's move on this is the first time in my read-throughs that i've understood the term sept there are seven gods sept i never got that I didn't realize that either. Good one. <laughs> Good call, man. I never. I'm like, why are they calling it the Sept? Seven. And then it then it, it occurred to me that Germ, if he could have just cut off, cut out the stranger or the maid or, or the father, somebody cut out one of them, he could have <laughs> had. Yeah, we could we could this. be talking about <gasps> sexting quite a bit in this cast. <laughs> The sexton, the high sexton, yeah. and it was written before like yes, sexting was a thing. Yeah. So he could have been, been a pioneer. <laughs> that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's really Let's funny. Let's go to the sext to pray. Yeah. Uh, I like that. Good catch. Very nice. Also, <laughs> to to note and the, all the all the religiously praying stuff. Uh, I, I read past a lot of it really quick, but because it doesn't interest me much. But Kat is really too hard on herself in this chapter about, you know, Bran and Rickon and Rob and not being there for Ned when he died. Just your your family loves you and they understand everything that you're trying to do. Bran is young and Rickon too, and they maybe don't understand a little less, but I think she's way too hard on herself in this chapter. She is. A lot. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. She's really... She's really dealing outwardly well with it, though. Yes. Oh, yeah. She's like, she's like a really, really high-functioning alcoholic. It's like I got all this crap going on inside, but I can to the outside world. I look great. I'm doing. I'm doing great things. Yeah, that, that's a good. That's a good analogy. But her alcohol is guilt. Yes. Right. Hmm. Taking guilt shots. Yeah. Oh, I remember what I was going to say about the Targaryens. Well, she's in the Sept musing about everything and like how incest is against the law and would be met with like the the harshest harshest (laughs) punishments. With the exception of the Targaryens who married to keep the bloodline pure, that was totally acceptable because like their dragons, they answered to no god or man. I was like, (laughs) yes! (laughs) They just have dragons. You get to do what you want. You get a a grandfather clause. You've been doing it for so long, we'll let you do it. Yeah. and you've also got dragons that could wipe us out. There's some interesting stuff in the World of Ice and Fire about the Targaryens and how they dealt with religion. Uh, we brought up that book several times, but check it out. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, anything else on Catelyn? All right, let's move on to John. Where we're going up north, where the winter's cold and the icicles bloom like the bluest rose. We haven't met his mom, but we love his wolf. He's John Snow. We uh, meet up with John as he and the rest of the Night's Watch arrive at the Fist of the First Men. Now, this is an ancient outpost, smack dab in the middle of the haunted forest beyond the wall. 
and it's it was built clear back by the first men, hence the name, before the Night's Watch was even formed. So it's now like in ruins, uh, really old, but it remains this strategic location because it's really difficult to get to. It's like super steep to climb up, so attacking it would be difficult if there was someone on top. Uh, it has a commanding view, especially of the Frost Fangs, which is this mountain range up north, and also of the Milkwater River that runs through the Frost Fangs. And it's got this ring wall protection at the top, which are basically this wall of stones that goes around the whole, whole round top of this fist. Uh, they're kind of in ruins now. They're old and kind of beaten down, but it's something. So Lord Commander Mormont decides that they're going to set up shop there, with uh, the 200 Night's Watchmen while they wait for Corrin Halfhand and his 100 men. Uh, they're also going to watch out for Mance Raider. Mormont and a couple other of uh, the leaders are sure that he'll probably be emerging from the Frost Fangs. And if he does, he'll probably be following that Milkwater River because he's got such a large host of people that they need that river for sustenance. So they'll just keep an eye on that and watch for Mance to inevitably show up, right? Um, also Mormont admits to John that he hopes they can perhaps, uh, be kind of a beacon so that the still, perhaps still living Benjamin Stark notices they're up there and finds them before he, they can find him. So the Night's Watch can't set up camp. They fortify the ring wall as best they can and they settle in. And John's starting to settle in for the night himself. He's even reheating some mold wine with some cool ingredients that I'm sure made Brooks mouth water. So uh, yeah. When he spies Ghost on the outskirts of their camp. Now, Ghost had been reticent to go up to the fist in the first place. Uh, he had seemed really like standoffish about going up there. And finally, John just let him go. He just let him wander off where he would. And Ghost never uh, climbed to the top of the fist with, with everyone else. And John trusts that, you know, Ghost goes off to hunt all the time and everything. And he's confident that he'll be back. And indeed, he did come back. And it becomes apparent that Ghost wants John to follow him outside of the ring wall and back down the fist, which John does even though it's like super freaky in the middle of the nighttime and I was like peeing my pants. I was so scared for John. So Ghost eventually leads John to a small mound of earth uh, among the haunted forest and John presumes it to be a, a burial site for a corpse. But as he digs, he comes across a cloak wrapped around some loose items and he opens the cloak and he finds a variety of weapons uh, arrowheads, spearheads, knives, all made of obsidian or dragon glass, as they also call it. And also amongst all these weapons is an old broken war horn. So already puzzled by this discovery of strange weapons uh, made of a strange material, he's even more surprised to note that the cloak the weapons were wrapped in is still fairly uh, new, indicating the burial was recent. And that it's also jet black. Most certainly the cloak of a brother of the Night's Watch. That's the end of the chapter. Bum, bum, bum. Whoa. Right. So Ghost somehow had this idea, of, or he found these, these weapons. You will have to wonder if Ghost knew about it all along, or he just came across them. 
I don't know if this is something we can speculate too much on, but uh, interesting one that somebody buried them there recently, and two that Ghost was able to find them. Okay, because because Stone wouldn't really smell like anything, right? Like, did he smell the cloak? It's maybe the cloak. Yeah, uh, yeah, very, very. Mm, they definitely have significance from if 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 Ghost is involved. Is the immediate thought for everyone that it was uh, Benjamin? Uh, I want to save all of that for Davos After Dark, my personal views. Okay, cut it out then, and let's move on to something Well, no, else. we don't have to cut it out, I don't think. I just don't want to weigh in. I think that's fair. Yeah, interesting that they're able to find it, and and interesting that, you know, the clues that they really leave are freshly buried, <laughs> recent, reasonably recent cloak, Night's Watch, Night's Watch cloak, right? That's mm-hmm. all very interesting. Um, and that whoever buried it had the foresight to think they're going to come to the fist of the first men, so I'm going to bury it here. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's but like good. not actually up in the circle place, like in the in the in the top of the fist. Yeah. Right. Like in a place that's where nobody point. would have stumbled over it. Like right. it wasn't marked. So I feel like it was actually left there to gather up again by that person who buried it. Mm. Yes. Perhaps, yeah. Yes. That's yep. That would make sense. Mm. That's what I would do anyways. <laughs> you know, with my, my snacks and my treasure. <laughs> <I> lo- <laughs> I just I I'm just picturing this now. Brooke out in the wilderness burying snacks and treasure for, to come back for later. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Question. You you are burying something. Tell me which snacks you would bury if you were burying snacks to come back to later. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> for me, double stuffed Oreos for sure. Oh, I haven't had one of those in a long time. Oh, oh they're my vice. I'm surprised like, Mountain Dew <laughs> isn't first on the list there, Matt. Uh, there would definitely be a Dew ski to wash them down. I would actually bury... Okay, are you ready for it? Rice yep. crackers with roasted onion hummus and creamy Havarti. Oh. Which is not an exciting snack and would not do well buried. But it's <laughs> it's what I'm craving. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, you, I'm gonna go with Twinkies because I know they'll last a long time. Mm. Right. Isn't it funny that the most unhealthy stuff is probably the stuff that would last longest? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking Mountain Dew and Oreos could last for quite a while. Yeah. Yep. As could the Twinkies. Yeah. yeah. There's 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 an episode of uh, a Family Guy right where I think I think maybe it's just Kohog where they live. Maybe it's the whole world. I don't remember. But basically, there's been like nuclear explosion and the Twinkies are still around. I believe it's Family Guy. Old yeah. old episode. Yeah. It's it's decent. Yeah. Twinkies are not mean anymore. Apparently. Oh no, they are. Um, I think they got picked back up again. Okay. They went. Yeah. They went on. Yeah, they went on hiatus for a while because Hostess like went out of business. But anyway, how did so that happen? Then, Come on. Yeah. I know, right? Especially in America. Yeah. America. Back. Yeah. Okay. So the thing that bugged me most about this chapter, though, is Mormont's reasoning behind all of this. Going up to the fist of the first men. Uh, this just this whole idea, like we talked about last time, of yeah. him going on the offensive against Mance Raider. It's just, 
It's just completely he's he's completely lost the focus and the original intent of the mission, mm. which was to was to basically go out on a fact finding mission. Uh, it wasn't to attack a whole host of wildlings. Yeah, it's it's just ridiculous. The Fist of the First Men is an okay place to be at, but there's really no access to water if they had to be up there for a long time. Um, it's it's not well protected against the elements and stuff like that. Like, sure, guys can't attack them up coming up the hill, but it's still not a great place. It's not as good. It's it's one of those good, better, best situations. The Fist of the First Men is a good place to be. It might even be better than others, but the best place to defend against wildlings would be at the effing wall. Go back to the wall if that's what you're trying to do, Mormont. Yeah. yeah. If, the, if the your only, goal is to fight wildlings, go to the effing wall. The only thing I quibble with is that I think he does have a dual purpose. He does comment to John, if Benjen's out there, he'll see us here. It's like lighting a big torch on the it high is. ground to say, this is where we are, come find us. If Benjen is out there, then the, he can get his fact-finding done too. And then maybe, I don't think he would, but then maybe he could technically go back to the wall. Maybe depending on what facts he learned or something. But but it does seem like it's dual purpose. He's like, alright, this is a strong defensible position. Maybe we can win here. It's like, well, yeah, just go back home. Right. Uh, well, and that's the thing, is I get the whole Benjen thing. But he doesn't even talk about Benjen or the fact-finding stuff anymore. It, it, he he mentions it like offhand to John, but all he can seem to focus on yeah. is 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 fighting Mance Raider. Mm-hmm. Um, he only mention, he only talks about Benjen after John brings him up. Yeah, that's true. He does also the minor minor quibble. He does at this point have to wait for the other group coming from the other tower to join up with them so they can at least rendezvous. But yeah, at that point. They shouldn't be digging in for the long term. Yeah. I agree. I think he could have sent out like some rangers or something. Go find Corin and tell him we're heading back. Tell him sorry, but this is a stupid idea. We're going home. I don't know. I it does, have a problem with it. It does seem ominous, though. I mean, you get John's perspective in this chapter, and he's looking down from there, and he's like, the forest is really creeping in here, and you can't see anything down there. Mm-hmm. Like... Anything could come. And the fact that they know, I'm going to harp on it again, they know for a fact that the dead walk and try to kill things. Like, they should be thinking about yeah. that, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, it's it's really futile and frustrating, but here we are. Yeah. Here we are, yeah. Yeah. I got it out. Thanks for what? Yeah, you swore in everything. It was great. Uh yeah. You said effing, but it's, it's you close. might as well have just it's said the word. Substitute word, yeah. right? It's a substitute. <laughs> I counted as you swearing and sinning. We didn't go. Uh, uh, skittish ghost. Do we want to touch on that really quick? Anybody? That yeah. was that was that was off putting. Like yes. you said, Matt. I was like, ghost is scared. I'm scared. Yeah, that's like 101. Like that's a rule of scariness stuff if the an- i think we've talked about it before in yeah, a previous yeah. episode that if the animals don't like if you're in nature and the animals don't like it you shouldn't like it either mm. yep yeah in movies and the golden retriever like whines and goes and hides under the bed and they're like we you should go, go investigate that noise in the basement anyways let me just take <laughs> off my bra for extra bouncing power it's, yeah. <laughs> it's the only decision in those movies i agree with but yeah uh <laughs> 
yeah, it, it, and we've we've talked about that with animals, and and we've talked about it even specifically with the dire wolves more than regular animals. The dire wolves know stuff, and you need to pay attention to them. Mm-hmm. Seems like. All right. Uh, anything else on John? Nope. All right. Let's move on. Uh, I've got. Uh, we're gonna go into. Uh, going to go into dad now so uh if you're wanting to avoid the spoilers uh just sign off and thanks for joining us today uh next next episode will be covering chapters 35 to 39 of clash of kings um and uh we'll be excited to have her is that true matt i know we've got a special episode coming up are we still uh yeah we're not to the special one yet. all right 35 to 39 it is of a clash of kings um and we'll tease out more on the special episode coming up a, a little bit later but uh thanks for joining us and uh we're gonna hit into davos after dark time thanks everybody davos after dark uh so i got three three davos after dark things that i kind of want to hit the first one is uh Arya. So she crossed her first name off her list with this, uh, uh, with this killing uh, from Jokinagar, and Matt has brought up a question about uh, being able to go back to being a normal person after years of what he calls hate fueled revenge lust. <laughs> Matt, do you want to talk about that a little bit? <laughs> Uh, it reminded me of a line from the first movie I ever remember watching. And to this day, it holds a special place in my heart. And that is The Princess Bride. Uh. I remember watching that since as long as I can remember, as long as I have memories, I remember watching The Princess Bride. My parents loved that movie. And, uh, but I thought of it and I'm just trying to grab the quote here. Okay. So Inigo Montoya. And for those of you who haven't seen the movie yet go see it but Inigo Montoya is this guy who's kind of a renegade on a mission to avenge his father who was killed by the six-fingered man many years ago so he's been his whole life training to become the best sword fighter ever in the world just so that he can find this six-fingered man and kill him to avenge his father and at the end of the movie Oh, man, I'm going to spoil it. He does. He gets him and he kills him. If you haven't seen the movie, it's like 30 years old. Go see it. Um, but he's talking to one of the other characters. And he said, and, and the other character says, what are you going to do now? And he says, I've been in the revenge business for so long. Now that it's over, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. You know, it's very strange. I have been in the revenge business so long. Now that it's over... I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. And I'm wondering, like, and that's kind of sad that your life had, its sole purpose was to knock people off and there wasn't, you know, a lot of hope or happiness or things to look forward to or anything like that. And I wonder, is this something that Arya can come back from? She's so focused on killing all these people. Can she go back to, I don't know, any sort of normalcy? I would I, I would she argue can. that she's abandoned normalcy just by joining um uh the house of uh black and white black and white faceless, faceless man. man or woman yeah now that she's there she's kind of stepped out of the realm where normal and i'm making quotation marks life applies mm-hmm. i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing nobody has to live by the typical rules you know 
get married, be in, in this world, be owned by a man, become chattel, pump out some kids, probably die in childbirth, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, right? Like she, she, she can choose her own path this way. So I, I would say it's more of a question of if she wants to go back. Mm-hmm. It, to me, it's, it's a question of identity um, and, and keeping a sense of who she is. And I argued in the, in the last episode that, you know, this is, I, I don't think it was unhealthy to create the list, but I think it is, it is walking a dangerous line. But I, I, it's funny you brought up the, the House of Black and White uh, stuff, Brooke, because when I read that, I always think that she's, like, there's that bit when she's there where she, like, hides her sword away. Instead of, like, giving away all her things, she, like, keeps them in secret places. And, like, she keeps second-guessing and challenging the things that she's being taught. I think she's doing enough to stick around and learn all the skills, but she's still got these pockets of Arya that she's keeping and holding on to. I think she can come back. Mm. And I, 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 um, this, I don't know why. It reminded me of, uh, there's this movie, uh, Eric Schaefer uh, did it back in, I think, 1997-ish. It's called Fall. And uh, the character in that movie is a writer. But he stopped writing and and decided to drive a cab. Um, (laughs) Kind of like Arya stopped trying to be a Stark and decided to become uh, (laughs) an assassin, maybe. But he he has a line in there where he he says, I could not hang on to who I was in the world that came with what I did. If and when I learn how to do that... I will write again. And that's what I think yeah. of Arya. It's it's like she can't she can't be this stark person that she wants to be. If the world if she ends up being in a world where she can be that again, I think she will. That's the way I feel about Arya. It's one of the reasons I, I really love her is because I feel like she does have that real strength of identity. Huh. Yeah, and, and I think that's what's important and, and what I would – I think you articulated it better than I did is uh, Arya, whatever path she chooses, is still able to remain Arya after being so caught up in the uh, hopeful death of others for so long, um, whatever she chooses to be. I, I agree. I don't want her to – I'm not necessarily harboring these dreams of her marrying Gendry someday and popping out all these little dark-haired kids for him. Are you sure you know, you're not? I want, I'm pretty dang sure. I want Arya to be what Arya wants to be. But mm-hmm. it, it'd be sad to see like this hatred kind of consume her. It would be. Let I would, the hate I would, throw, flow through you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I feel like the lesson she's learning becoming one of the faceless will help her deal with that. Um, just because... Like it's almost like meditative how they have to calm themselves. Yeah. But also I'm hoping that when she reunites with Nymeria, I'm not saying if, I'm saying when mm-hmm. that totally um, that yeah. that will that will pull forth any starkness she tramps down to to become the assassin. That's true. That's a good point about It will um, also connect her Nymeria with her remaining her. siblings. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a good point. That will have that's a really good point. I was talking about her physical possessions, but you're right. The stronger thing by far would be the relationship we has, she has with that wolf. Yeah. And as we saw in this chapter, we got a glimpse of a slight warg of her dreaming of wolves and stuff. And so there's still those hints that that, that, that could become a part of her life. Yeah. Like it is Bran's. Yeah. Uh, I kind of want to talk about that. So <laughs> it wasn't on my list, but I, I kind of want to talk about it. 
so <laughs> so Bran is like is like the strongest warg and and I think that's because he has some natural ability, but I also think how do I put this sensitively? He doesn't have a whole lot else going on like he's he's physically pretty stuck with what his limitations are right he's his brain is forced to try to kind of hammer out these other avenues of being of being impactful and being successful and all this stuff and so he's reaching out more and more aggressive about it all these you know mm-hmm. rob and john and sansa lost her wolf uh aria's got all this tragedy around her all the time they got other got shit other going things on. on their mind they can't yeah. yeah they just can't focus on honing in on it like she can like, like bran can and i think he's got more ability i'm not i'm not saying that's all there is like clearly he's he's you know a target uh, you know, of, of or not a target, but a, a focus uh, in this realm of, of people that have this ability. He can do it better. I think that's clear, but I think he just, he's he's more into it. But Arya's clearly powerful. She's doing it without even trying. She doesn't, mm-hmm. she can't identify what's going on, but she's doing it. Yeah, she doesn't have a Jojen read to kind of orient her and stuff. Yeah, right. Along with what you're saying, Scad, we remember that... Jojen first started having the green dreams and stuff when he was really sick and kind of uh, incapacitated. He said he was yeah. almost dying yeah. when he started having his green dreams and stuff. So there could be a connection there of the the broken things, as Tyrion would call them. The old uh, gotta hit rock bottom fight club thing? There you go. <laughs> I don't love fight club. We'll go into that in another episode. We shouldn't even be talking about it. All right, sorry. All right, carry on. What's next on your list? Next oh, on... that was the joke. That was a joke. The oh. first two rules of Fight Club. Oh. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Don't talk about Fight Club. But yeah. I'm glad that you guys obeyed me so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> the time Nazi. It's, we, had to, we had to respect it. Time Nazi? <laughs> You gave me hell earlier about like I can't edit a three-hour podcast. Uh, um, that's because we we're on the second chapter. We we're an hour in. <laughs> we're doing we're doing pretty good right now. We're anyway, yeah. Let's keep going. Yeah, we've made up for it. Uh, okay. So the next one I wanted to talk about was uh, and uh, probably quickly, but because uh, we did touch on it in our chapter. What if Sansa had appreciated Tyrion a little more and really committed to their marriage? Because the first time reading through it. When when Sansa married Tyrion, I was like, all right, the culmination of all these lessons Sansa's learning about what it is to be a good person and what it is to be beautiful and the fact that they don't always go together and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, she's in a shitty situation, but Tyrion's treating her well and I think plans to. Right. And maybe they can become a little power couple and actually kind of make a go of it. And and then she says that thing to him on the wedding night about I could never, ever love you or what if I never want you to – have sex with me or all those things. Right. Uh, and it just kind of dashed my hopes, but do you think if she had, if she had given it more of a shot, it could have, I don't know. What do you think? Um, here's where I would say we, we can't get mad at her for not wanting to sleep with him or not wanting to give it a shot. She has zero choice in the matter of this marriage. It was basically marriage rape. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He didn't do anything. No, but you know what I mean? Like, she was forced into the marriage. Yes, yes. Um, he was 
really good with her. Um, if I remember their marriage night correctly, I think he still got naked. Things got like awkward as anything. Yeah, yeah. but he got some some of George's classic description of he never forced himself on her, and he never even wanted to. So that was good. Or I can't remember. Whatever the case, no, you're remembering it. correctly. Yeah, he you just kind of sat there with with it out, and he was like, "This is not appealing at all." Well, I'm just gonna put these back on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it, I think if I remember right, he specifically says things like, "I'm not ever, ever gonna try with you unless you want me right. to." He does. He absolutely does. Yeah, and, um, and that's amazing. And and I I think it's it's. Sansa's prerogative to say this will never work because she never had a choice, right? Yeah, it's it's absolutely her. It's absolutely up to her to say something like that. But never is just a dumb word to use in most cases. It's like you you can make new choices every day. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Never is just a it's just a silly word to use. In most so you cases. would you if you were in that situation if you Personally, not as a girl, but you as Scad got forced into that marriage, you wouldn't have said never. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I think um, I think I would certainly have been bitter at the situation, angry, enraged, frustrated, insulting. I would have probably been all those things, and probably yes, I would have certainly said something, maybe that I didn't mean. But and I, I'm not even talking really about the sex part. That's not really what my question was. It's more about, could they have been a successful couple? Could they have had a successful marriage, which doesn't always even require all you know the sex stuff in, in this political world, right? Um, and that's, that's where I, 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 I worry about it a little bit, was going to be my answer, because Tyrion has such a target on his back, mm. and I wonder if uh, Sansa would have gone down in flames with him. Yeah. In the end. Yeah. Well, it was a precarious situation, regardless. Uh, we can move on. I just it thought was. Uh, it was—it's—it it, was an interesting point of their relationship when that happened, and uh, interesting right. is is a a nice way of putting it, I guess—a ter- a terrible, tragic thing from Sansa's perspective. Um, but something yeah, that and really we get more turned... just. Go ahead. I was just going to say, just knowing because we actually do get Tyrion's POV quite a bit, uh, just so. You know, just knowing that she that he doesn't mean her any harm, that makes it all the more frustrating for us. Um, a little bit, I think, being frustrated with Sansa. I, I get Brooke's point, though. Like the, the at, yes. least I, at least I think I do. The, the sad thing is that we're looking at her marriage like he doesn't mean you any harm, and that's the ceiling. Like that's a shitty that's a shitty situation for her to be in, right? It's like right. she shouldn't be yeah. grateful and like, well, someday, yeah. She should be pissed. I get. I get what you're saying. Um, so I don't. I don't mean to demean that. But all right. Well, let's move on. Last dad topic, uh, and it's back to the buried bundle. The buried bundle. <laughs> the buried. <laughs> I'm making it sound like a buried child. <laughs> the buried bundle of of dragon glass. Newborn. Of, of well, I'm hearing right now. <laughs> so. It's funny because this is this really is a, a big mystery. And you don't, you kind of don't hear about it much in the fandom. At least I don't. 
you know, like who buried this and why and what was the yeah, intent? We, we, ne- we never get an answer, eh? I'm not, no, no not, not yet. Not so far. It's a big deal, though. It, it is a big deal because that horn is potentially the horn of winter. Yeah. That could the drop horn of, down the wall and everything. The horn of Joramun, is that what it's called? Is that the same one? Right. Yeah, they yeah, call okay. it both. Yeah, yeah right. Um, yeah, could supposedly supposedly drop the wall down. Um, you know, the dragon glass, the fact that they've got all of it gathered up together implies some things. Back in the back in the days of the first men and the, the children of the forest, the children of the forest used to give the first men dragon glass as part of their alliance to like help them right. fight the others. So it's like, did they were they in concert with the children of the forest to get this? Like where did they get it? Who's talking to them? Oh, um, I didn't think of that. Good point. Well, it's not yeah, mine. Like, I, I did some research today, but yeah. Um, so the, there's there there's several theories out there um, about about who it is. Some people do think it's Benjen. Um, my question about Benjen would be if he ba- like it it was buried so recently, why wouldn't he have come to drop in and say hello? <laughs> Yeah, that's where my tinfoil comes in that I think I put on there. What if he's, like, managed to go undercover or something? Mm-hmm. Where he's, like, totally um, infiltrated some enemy camp. Like, he's, like, among the others somehow. I don't know, with only his starkness protecting him or something. I don't know. Oh, that's crazy. Wouldn't that be cool? That is crazy. That yeah. would that would hold up the theory that they're not killing all the people, like Craster's sons, that they're keeping some of them. Mm. Because I, I want to know how, if whoever it was, especially if it's Benjen, how they got the horn and stuff like that. Like, that's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it's like Benjen was out, like, actually solving legitimate mysteries being uh-huh. Indiana Jones and unearthing things, creating potentially creating lasting relationships with like he's been busy over the last year and a half wandering around <laughs> right. the north, avoiding others somehow. If it's Benjamin, I mean it's it's pretty impressive. And then there's that question of was it buried for someone to find or was it buried for him to come back to later, whoever him is. Well, so. Yeah, I I like the I buried it for for me to come back later. Um, that seems to make more sense. It does. There's a lot of questions that would rise up from the other. Yeah, the other alternative. Yeah, how would he know they would come there? How would he know they would mm. find it? But but you here's know. the thing: it's true he could have had an extra cloak, but it's more probable that it was his cloak that he buried it in. Uh-huh. So why would he give up his cloak? Is he- because he's going undercover, Brooke. And he'd be recognized <laughs> this is, this as a knight. point. I know. This yeah. is just supporting your arguments. Yes. <laughs> so one of the things I saw on a thread was that it was that Benjen had got this, this dragon glass with the people he was with. Jafer and um, Othic, was it? Flowers. Jafer Flowers and Othic, uh, yeah. somebody, Othor. whatever it was. Othor. Othor. Okay. Othic, Othor, whatever. Uh, and and that he sent them back to the wall to go tell the stories to the people at the wall and deliver this glass. Like, hey, we met the children of the forest, we got this glass, also totally there are others out there, that kind of thing, right? But they were getting chased, 
So they buried the stuff and then never made it back. Right. Mm. And which kind of is, is around Brooks, maybe Brooks idea. Like they, they, they buried it intending, intending to come back and get it later. Like trying to leave it behind. Cause it was, I don't know. They probably buried or dropped a bunch of stuff. Maybe, um, an interesting theory, but still, that would have been yeah, that be... still would have been two years ago or close, right? How long has the engine been out? Isn't it? It's over a year and a half, isn't it now? Yeah. So Definitely. I don't know how long it takes for the Earth to harden and not be soft, like they're describing here, and it feels like it was buried even more recently than that to me. Almost like somebody saw they were coming this way and buried it real quick, it real and then quick. went the other direction. Yeah. Right, but even then, you're like, so they're relying on ghosts to find it, or yeah, John I, was able to dig it up with his hands. Yes, it's extremely to loose. The point of the ground not hardening. Yeah, so the, likely snow hadn't even fallen and then melted on it because that would have tamped down the soil, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, ghost mm-hmm. I think was digging in the area too, so maybe he loosened the heart, the top layer or something, but. I, it almost seems like somebody did it like right before they got there, you know. Huh. Yeah. yeah. But I and don't if know, that I don't was know the that site be... of of an other attack, um, that might explain ghosts' kind of skittishness. Yes, being around there could be. So, what if it were Blood Raven warging something? Yeah, he'd have to warg something. Yeah, he's not coming out of that cave. Yeah, but yeah, I suppose it could be. I don't know. Anyway, I I think it's just a it's a fascinating mystery that I don't think it's a lot of play. That uh, yeah, I'm glad we could talk about it a little bit. Ooh, I loved this one. I like it when we kind of come up with things on the spot. Like <laughs> we like develop things yeah. like on the air that we hadn't thought of before. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Well, you guys did most of my stuff. I stole from the net today, but good good for you guys. <laughs> Thanks. Just go and check up on everything and be disproved. Nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, anything else you guys got for uh, Davos After Dark? No, I think I'm good. I just wanted to cover the some dragon glass speculation. I think we did. Yeah. Thanks for sleuthing out all the clues about the timing of the burial. Some good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and sign off then. This is Brooke signing off, saying you don't need tasteless descriptions of rape to let everybody know that a tragic rape has happened. Very true. In that same Aria vein, uh, with, I don't know, this just reminded me of her, a quote from a Counting Crows song called St. Robinson and His Cadillac Dream, where he says, I may not go to heaven, but I hope you go to hell. Nice. Solid record. Yeah. Uh, this is Scad signing off. In the words of Battlestar Galactica for Arya, there must be some kind of way out of here. Bob Dylan, baby. That, that was Battlestar Galactica originally, right? I think it's a uh, lot of things. Well, it's based on the song All Along the Watchtower. I'm kidding, which Matt. Is the Bob Dylan song. I know. You don't mess, you don't kid about Bob Dylan with me, Scad, okay? All right. <laughs> Oh, thanks, everybody. (laughs) Good night. night. (laughs) On that note, see ya. Bye. Bye. 
There must be some way out of here Say the joker to the thief There's too much confusion I can't get no relief I, you know, what I said is true. I can't imagine how many porn parodies of Game of Thrones there are out there. There probably are. I, yeah. I'm sure they've hit thousands by now. I am not touching that with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> I'm no interest in it whatsoever. Because if you think they miscast the show, imagine how badly they're miscasting these porn parodies. I didn't mean to give the impression that I'm going to watch them. I was just saying, I went there because he linked it and... Wow, they're like Sketch putting like, a lot of effort into it. <laughs> I I mostly want to see who they get to cast Hodor. That's my, maybe they get actually the same actor. It's probably he's got to be the lead in at least a few of those. Uh, he's got a huge dong. Yeah, who's the most hung guy in the porn industry? Hodor. Hodor yeah. doesn't even Hodor. need to memorize any lines. Hodor. 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 I can see our ending sign-off uh, outtake bit now. It's just us hodering around. Are you recording? Of course. Oh, good. We're and Shelty's in the backyard. Yes. Okay. With the kids. <laughs> With a blanket and a you, you bag toss, of chips. Yeah, you toss some snacks out there. <laughs> a couple water bottles. <laughs> they only get snacks if they're on good behavior. If I hear anything in here... Couple, Whether it's from them or not. Bouncing off your kid's head. Uh. I hope you 